in this week's market update. Light at the end of the tunnel or an approaching train? It's decision time for investors. With the S&P 500 down around 25% since the start of the year, there is now no question that we are in a bear market. This has been one of the worst ever first six months of a year for investors. The question now is how big a bear this one turns out to be. Last week was one of the worst for markets since the start of the pandemic nearly two and a half years ago. As investors took fright at the scale of monetary tightening, central banks may have to engage in to defeat spiralling inflation. Shares lost nearly 6% last week. The big event was the Fed's decision to raise interest rates by 0.75 percentage points. That was the biggest single rate hike since 1994 and the clearest indication yet that the Fed has accepted it was wrong last year to view inflation as transitory and it's now running fast to catch up with the new reality. The Fed has been raising interest rates since March but last week represented an acceleration of the process. Interest rates are scheduled to rise to 3.8% in 2023, more than twice their current level, with most of the tightening happening this year. The Fed knows this is going to hurt. And they're not keeping that view to themselves. A month ago, the US central bank said that inflation would fall back to its 2% target as it tightened policy and the labour market would remain strong. This month, it quietly dropped that reference to employment. It knows it can't have its cake and eat it. It can protect jobs or get on top of inflation, but not both at the same time. The market mood soured further when both the Bank of England and, unexpectedly, the Swiss National Bank raised rates for the first time since 2007. Here in the UK, the bank warned that inflation was likely to hit 11% later in the year when energy prices are expected to rise yet further. So the question now is not whether interest rates are heading higher, but how far they will go and how fast. And crucially, whether they will break the economy before they break inflation. The good news, such as it is, is that markets have now fallen so far and so fast that on a range of measures they can rightly be described as oversold. That doesn't mean that they can't fall further, but it does improve the odds of a positive return from here. One measure of the market's momentum compares the number of companies standing at new one-year highs with those at new one-year lows. At minus 48%, the current reading is typical of the bottom of a bear market, although it's well shy of the minus 80% readings that were reached during the financial crisis and at the start of the pandemic. Another of the more understandable technical measures looks at the percentage of shares that are trading above their average for the past 50 trading days. In the low single digits, the numbers are back to where they were in March 2020, after which markets rebounded strongly. Even the energy sector has plunged on this measure, showing how indiscriminate the selling has been recently. Another good sign that the worst may be over. Markets have fallen hard despite the fact that the underlying earnings picture remains relatively encouraging. This may be because profits have not yet caught up with the economic reality. It could be that the upcoming earnings season plays catch-up on that front. What this does mean is that sentiment and valuations have fallen even further than the headline price index would suggest. In terms of the price-earnings multiple, the declines over the past year or so have been dramatic. 
Measured using historic profits, this multiple has fallen from 29 to 17 on the basis of expected profits from 23 to 16. Both are big drops by historic standards. They represent a massive resetting of expectations. And look at more volatile, smaller companies and the effect is even more pronounced. The price earnings ratio for the Russell 2000 index of smaller companies has dropped from over 18 to under 10. That's now back where it was in March 2020. The key to the market from here is what happens to earnings. It's a case of wait and see. So is it time to buy the dips? Some investors clearly think so. Flows into US equity market funds were positive again in the week to the 15th of June, according to EPFR Global, which measures these things. But others point out that the market backdrop is very different from recent low points like March 2020. Central banks are no longer supportive, inflation is high, and corporate profits and consumer sentiment are under pressure. Standing back a bit from the current noise, a valid question is whether we remain in a long-term or secular bull market. There have been ups and downs along the way, but shares have broadly been moving higher since the low point reached in 2009 after the financial crisis. So are we coming to the end of that upswing? Well, the good news here is that there is nothing in the current market action to suggest that this upswing is any different from the long bull markets that prevailed from the end of the Second World War until the late 1960s and then again in the 1980s and 90s, ending with the dot-com bubble. In those periods too, there were recessions and bear markets, but they didn't end the overall positive backdrop for investors. Now, for that comparison to continue to hold, we will probably need to see a bounce from today's depressed levels. Bear markets in secular bull markets tend to be quite short in duration. They can be unpleasant, but they're soon over. Again, we must wait and see. Now, after last week's packed schedule of economic and central bank announcements, it's likely to feel a bit quieter this week. The highlight will be some purchasing managers' surveys, but nothing to compare with the interest rate shocks that unsettled markets last week. On the corporate front too, things are quiet as we remain in the limbo period between quarterly reporting seasons. Here in the UK, the sense of things being put on hold will be exacerbated by a string of rail strikes over pay and conditions that many fear may be just the start of a summer of discontent. As workers, especially in the public sector, start to hit back as years of stagnant wages run up against a worsening cost of living crisis. On the political front too, the conventional wisdom is that the government will take a beating on Thursday as two by-elections give voters the opportunity to express mid-term dissatisfaction with the ruling party. That was certainly the case in France where President Macron this week lost his majority in the National Assembly after strong showings by both the far right and left resulted in a hung parliament. Political uncertainty in Europe coincides with some worrying echoes of the Eurozone debt crisis of a decade ago, as the cost of borrowing diverges between the core and the periphery of the region. The start of an interest rate tightening cycle in Europe as inflation rises to historically high levels is likely to have a disproportionate impact on the region's financially weakest countries 
and bond yields in Italy and Greece have risen sharply in recent weeks. The ECB has arguably the biggest challenge of all central banks because it has to set policy for a region of 19 very different economies. It's very hard to come up with a level of interest rates that makes sense for all its member countries. That was the backdrop to the emergency meeting called last week to speed up work on what it calls a defragmentation tool, measures to stop the eurozone breaking up. It was a long way short of Mario Draghi's promise in 2012 to do whatever it takes to save the euro, but it did at least stop the downward spiral in Italian bonds. And finally, if you thought shares and bonds had it bad, spare a thought for those who hoped that cryptocurrencies were the answer. The price of Bitcoin has halved this year to below $21,000. Since the peak last year, it's down by more than two-thirds. Anyone who hoped that crypto would provide protection from inflation, a store of value and a diversification from other riskier assets has been relieved of that illusion. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.